Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Paul Byron of the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam Hurt. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcotte from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the Edelman. This is Alex Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL. And now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. That's incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Well, good weekend and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That's me and I welcome you to the uh, program. If you are a newcomer to the show, then uh, welcome aboard. I did get a uh, message from somebody uh, just uh, yesterday or the day before. I'll just uh, bring it up. I'm going to say it's pronounced uh, Shabbat or Shabot on Twitter. It says uh, he's a new listener, just started listening to the last three episodes. He was asking me when the, this episode would be released. So uh, great to, to have you aboard Shabbat or Shabot and uh, all the other new listeners as well. And if you're a returning listener, then thanks for coming back and continuing to uh, download and support the Pipeline Show. Big thanks to everybody who signed up to be a patron at patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show. Enjoying your early access perks and uh, things like that. Let's get right to it. The question of the day this week. Kind of a loaded one, and I'll tell you why in a second, but I put it up on Twitter just a few minutes ago, so not a whole lot of uh, action on it just yet, and it's kind of a, it's not just a straightforward question either, a little bit trickier this week, but the question is, what should the WHL do to try and reach deeper into the talent pool that is in the United States? You can find that question on Twitter, at TPS underscore Guy is where you can uh, locate me on uh, the uh, the Twitter machine. Give me a follow if you're not already. If you're a fan of uh, hockey prospects and uh, a listener of the show and you're not following me, then you're probably doing something wrong because uh, that's all I tweet about, basically, is hockey prospects and uh, information uh, for the show. Anyway, the question of the day, the reason I ask that uh, particular question today is because I actually have a couple of uh, very interesting uh, tidbits to uh, bring to you right now. I'll break those on the show today. I'm, I also wrote it up. You'll find it at dubnetwork.ca either later today, maybe tomorrow. Uh, but it's all written up and uh, ready for me to uh, submit to Dub Network as a new Flaming Hot Takes uh, column. The reason I ask about uh, tapping into the American hockey pool a lot more is because the WHL is about to make uh, two real big moves to do just that and uh, the first is a uh, a new tournament that's going to be held in Seattle it's going to involve about a dozen teams and some of this is still in the works but this is I, I've, I've heard, been hearing about it for about six weeks now uh, and I reached out to uh, some uh, contacts throughout the league and uh, have been given five or six confirmations that uh, 
They're not just in the final standing places, but it's basically a done deal. But some of the finer details still to work out. But there's going to be a Bantam tournament that's held in Seattle. It's going to involve about a dozen teams, at least half of which will be American Bantam teams. So up here we have uh, a tournament in St. Albert's, the, the John Reed Memorial Tournament. It's been going for about 50 years. The last tournament had 16 teams. Two of them were from the United States. One of those uh, was from Phoenix, the uh, Junior Coyotes, and uh, one from L.A. That would be the Junior Kings program. And you know all the WHL teams and their scouting staff and their uh, GMs, they're all their head scouts, they all flock to a tournament like that because it's it's all players who are eligible for the next uh, Bantam draft. So what this new tournament will be in Seattle will be very similar to that, but it will have a lot more American content. So that's going to provide a, a much bigger showcase for those American players who are draft eligible uh, to be seen by WHL teams and by uh, scouts. It's also going to provide a lot of opportunity for those players and their families to talk to WHL people about the WHL. A lot of it is, is about education. And, you know, obviously you, you grew up in the United States and your mindset is uh, the way to professional sports is through NCAA. That's how you do it with basketball. That's how you do it with football. Hockey is a different beast because unlike basketball and football, there is another avenue uh, other than going the NCAA route. And that, of course, is major junior hockey. But a lot of people stateside uh, are unfamiliar with uh, with the Canadian Hockey League. It probably sounds foreign to them. It's, oh, it's the Canadian Hockey League, but not realizing, you know, there's 25% of the teams in the WHL, almost, I know, but uh, are based in the United States. And not only that, I think there's the mis- a wide misconception out there that if you play major junior hockey, you don't care about education. And that, obviously, is a fur- could not be further from the truth. The WHL just released their numbers, uh, the record number of scholarships that they've uh, given out this fall for current and former players. And you get a year's worth of uh, tuition and books paid for for every year you play in the WHL. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not uncommon for a guy to play five years in the WHL. Normally, it's four but not uncommon for a guy who starts as a 16-year-old and ends up as an overage player in the league. That's five years. You would get five years of post-secondary education paid for, and you can take that those classes anywhere you want. If you're in the States, you can take it in an American institution, and the WHL team will still pay for it. But I don't know if things like that are widely known south of the border. I think in Canada most people realize this, but so if it's about educating uh, people on what the WHL and the Canadian Hockey League have to offer, then this sort of a tournament will certainly provide that opportunity for players and their families. Because it is going to be, my understanding is, it will be a WHL-run tournament. So that's the first thing. And I'm told that should be happening in and around February of 2020. So like in three, four months from now. The second thing that the WHL is doing to uh, increase their draw of American players to the WHL is starting in the spring of 2020. The WHL is going to institute a two-round American draft. Much like what's happening in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and has happened for the last two seasons, they started in 2018, every team will draft two American players. And this will happen before the regular WHL Bantam draft that happens in early May. So you're going to have a new Bantam tournament played in the United States that will showcase American players, and then you will have a two-round Bantam draft uh, specifically just for the Americans, a two-round American draft. 
for the WHL. And why why is the draft significant? Well, one GM that I talked to said uh, it's about optics and it's about, you know, you can take a player and maybe you're taking a player in the ninth or 10th round as a bit of a flyer. Potentially, you don't know if he's interested in the WHL, but he's a good player. Do you like to have him on your team? You don't want to risk that he gets drafted by someone else. Uh, you Maybe you just want to list him, put him on your protected list, but you're afraid somebody else is going to draft him. So you're waiting and you're waiting. You're going to make a, a, like an eighth or a ninth round pick. Well, now you're taking that guy in the first or second round of the American draft, and suddenly that guy is no longer a, a late round pick. He's a first round pick. And so he's got that feeling of being wanted, that he there's a bit of prestige to that. Um, so just that sort of a change in the mindset for uh, some players, it shows that they're wanted. The hope is that uh, even something that small uh, will be an encouragement for players to uh, give the WHL another look. So I've been pretty critical of the WHL and what I have said to be, you know, not they haven't done enough to try to draw more American players. I'm going to give them credit where credit is due. I think both of these things are uh, terrific examples of the WHL seeing that there are players and the story I'm writing for Dub Network it starts off this way is that you know I think there are a lot of people out there who say the WHL with 22 teams is too big and there aren't enough players to sustain it and I argue the diff- the opposite that there are enough players they're just in the southwestern United States you know states like California and uh, Arizona now and Texas and Colorado and all those places where the where the NHL went to about 20 years ago and now youth hockey has grown so much in those states that those players are now getting closer and closer and are already of the age where they are pushing for you know NHL jobs there we're seeing NHL players now from places like that I mean, Austin Matthews is a perfect example so the players are there and if you can't get the players to come to you Go to the players. And, you know, I, I had that interview, I, that conversation with Pete Labardius a couple of summers ago about creating a fourth CHL league. Uh, Cole's notes uh, split the w- the current WHL in half with the two conferences uh, and uh, named the BC and the U.S. division uh, the PHL, the Pacific Hockey League. And then slowly, gradually, over time, as those two, as the two new leagues get their feet under them, start gradually expanding south to where the players are now while that idea i think is still pretty far-fetched realistic i think but far-fetched what the whl is doing with this new bantam tournament in seattle and in a two-round american draft i think deserves to be uh, commended so two thumbs up from the pipeline show on uh, that for the whl i would love to hear your thoughts so hit me up on twitter at tps underscore gee what you think of the the new the upcoming and so far unannounced uh, Bantam tournament in Seattle and the uh, American draft uh, for the WHL. What you think about those two ideas? Let's get to the news and notes portion. We'll start with the CHL top 10 that comes out every Wednesday. So going into this weekend's action, here's how the top 10 looks in the CHL. Sherbrooke holds on to that number one spot. The Edmonton Oil Kings uh, jump up to the number two position. Oshawa moves down to number three. Prince Albert holds steady at 4, followed by Shikudumi at 5. The Moncton Wildcats jump up to 6. Cape Breton holds steady at 7, followed by Owen Sound at 8. The Everett Silvertips are at 9, and the Flint Firebirds off to a terrific start this season. Great story there in Flint. 
And they are at number 10. Honorable mentions go to Peterborough, Portland, and the Windsor Spitfires. In the queue, and uh, my, one of my guests today, the CHL Insider guest, is Patrick McNeil. He's the voice of the uh, Cape Breton Eagles. And I chatted with him yesterday. And they have a, a big home-and-home home, uh, series this weekend with the Moncton Wildcats. Well, game one of that series was last night. And boy, it got ugly for the uh, Eagles as they dropped a 10-4 decision uh, to the uh, Moncton Wildcats. And uh, bad news in that one as uh, Eagles netminder Kevin Mandelis uh, left the game midway through and uh, have not heard an update yet on uh, how severe that injury is. But that obviously would be a blow to the Eagles. Sherbrooke still the number one team uh, in the CHL and obviously in the queue, but Moncton uh, right behind them uh, in the standings, just uh, four points back. And uh, with a game in hand, that's going into weekend play, as I'm speaking with you now on Friday. Top scorers in the queue haven't changed from uh, last week. It's the trio from Ramuski, Cedric Paré, Alexi Lafreniere, both with 43 points, and Dmitry Zavgorodna with 36. Igor Sokolov and Ryan Francis, both from Cape Breton, round out the top five. Over in the OHL, the Oshawa Generals in first place in the league. With 23 points, but I'm going to go by winning percentage, and uh, they they are still in first place. Flint is next with a 769 uh, winning percentage. Great 10 and three record uh, to start the year for the Firebirds. That's a, that's a nice story, and a great to great to see that franchise turning a corner. The Windsor Spitfires might be seventh in standing by points, but they have the uh, third best winning percentage right now, followed by the Peterborough Peets and the Owen Sound Attack. Also saw news that the London Knights uh, have now f- officially acquired Dylan Miskew. And uh, what was interesting is I had reported like two weeks ago that Miskew was in London working out with the Knights. Well, before they could sign him, he had to go through OHL waivers. And the Sarnia Sting, recognizing that the, the London Knights were about to sign Miskew, said, you know what, we're going to sign him instead. We'll take him on the waivers and then uh, trade him to the London Knights. And that way they would get something uh, back for him. And uh, they got the goaltender that the Knights traded. That'd be Jordan Cooey. So a nice heads-up move there by Sting GM Nick Sinclair. Meanwhile, Miskew, now with the Knights, uh, has yet to get into a game, but uh, perhaps uh, that'll happen this weekend. The Knights are at home to Owen Sound uh, tonight on Friday and are on the road in Oshawa on Sunday. Here in the Western Hockey League, the Edmonton Oil Kings are first place with the 10-1-3 record and an 8-21 winning percentage. Prince Albert defending champs are uh, right behind them, two points back, and uh, they have a 7-50 winning percentage. So do the Everett Silvertips have a 7-50. They've only played 12 games, though. Meanwhile, uh, Portland and Calgary are also tied at uh, 17 points and a 7-08 winning percentage. Don't snooze on the Lethbridge Hurricanes. They've really played some good hockey. Just going by points, they are just uh, one win back of the Edmonton Oil Kings. They have played a couple of games more, though, than uh, everybody else. And so their winning percentage uh, puts them seventh in the WHL. Well, I forgot to give you uh, top scores in the OHL. Let's go back for a second. Arthur Kaliev and Quinton Byfield uh, leading way with 31 points each. Sean Jostling has 27. So does Cole Perfetti. Jostling plays for the Sting and uh, Perfetti. For the Saginaw Spirit, Connor McMichael of the London Knights is fifth with 26 points. Also saw on Twitter, somebody had actually uh, tagged me in a tweet that 
I'll just read it to you. Um, at OHL Insiders reporting that uh, 22 of the Niagara Ice Dogs players met with the union regarding poor treatment, and the OHL is uh, pissed. That's uh, what was reported by OHL Insiders. Uh, I don't know who the 22 players are, uh, but it's if it's if that's an accurate number, that's most of the team. I don't know who the union is either, if that's the old CHLPA people still kicking around. But I guess the bigger question is, what's hap- if that's true, what's happening in Niagara that's got the uh, players upset? And uh, hopefully the league is going to step in, and uh, or at least there's some sort of investigation to see what exactly is going on. All right, back to the WHL and uh, the uh, leading scorers in the league. Connor Zaria, the Kamloops Blazers, has 21 points. Adam Beckman, after a couple of really strong weeks, is uh, number two. He's got 20 points. A trio of players with 19. Bryce Kindop from Everett, Alexi Protus of the PA Raiders, and St. Franklin, also of the Kamloops Blazers. They all have 19 points. The natural next step from the uh, CHL is U Sports. Let's uh, check the standings. Starting with uh, Ontario East, and uh, the, and it looks like Carlton uh, continuing to lead the standings there. They have a 7-1 and one record going into this weekend's play. UQTR is next. That's at Three Rivers, Trois-Rivières, and a bit of a gap uh, from those two teams to the rest of the conference. In Ontario West, it's uh, Windsor still leading the way, Toronto right behind, and then a bit of a drop to Guelph and Brock, who are 500. Everybody else in the conference is below 500. On the East Coast in the Atlantic uh, Conference, the Acadia Axemen still leading the way, now with an 8-1 and record. UNB ha- is 7-2, uh, and two, followed by St. Mary's at 5-3. and three. And in Canada West, the University of Alberta Golden Bears are back on top, now with a 7-1 and one record. Calgary drops to 6-1-1. and one. Mount Royal right uh, dead even in points uh, with, the, uh, with the Dinos at 6-2. and two. Uh, excuse me, the Dinos actually have one more point because of an overtime loss. And leading all U sports in uh, statistical uh, scoring is Matt Alfaro, plays for the Calgary Dinos, longtime WHLer, making use of his uh, scholarship package, which, of course, is good to see. Let's go to the top 20 in the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Junior A in Canada. The Brooks Bandits are number one, followed by Battlefords. The Shored Park Crusaders uh, drop one spot from two to three. Powassan, the Voodoos are four. Longill is at five. The Toronto Patriots out of the OJHL are six. Carlton Place, Salmon Arm, Okotoks, and Wellington round out the top ten, followed by Timmins, the Spruce Grove Saints, Thunder Bay, Summerside, Oakville, Penticton, the V's are at 16. The Portage Terriers are at 17. And you've got Steinbeck, South Shore, and the Coquitlam Express out of the BCHL are ranked 20th. Dip south of the border, quick look at the USHL. And if you went by points, the Chicago Steel would be the top club. They have 15 points, have played 10 games, but then you've got the Dubuque Fighting Saints who have only played 7 games and are off to a 6-0-1 record, so their winning percentage, 929, is the best in the USHL. I don't know how they've only played 7 games and the US Development Program, they've played 12. Most teams have played 10 or 11. But then Dubuque and uh, Fargo have only played seven. So really unbalanced schedule uh, so far in the, the USHL. You look at the uh, top scorers in the league. Matthew DeCefale, Trevor Kuntar, Alex Laferriere, 
all with 15 points, respectively. Carson Bantle, who's already been on the show, draft eligible this year, he has uh, 14 points, as does Sean Farrell of the Chicago Steel. And we'll uh, round out the news and notes with a look at the NCAA. The Denver Pioneers continue to be the number one ranked team in the nation. They are 6-0 to begin the year. Minnesota State is number two. The Minutemen of Massachusetts is our three. Cornell is four. They have yet to play a game. Notre Dame is five. That top five has not changed from last week. Minnesota Duluth, well, they swept the Golden Gophers, and that bumps them up from eight to six. And it pushes Wisconsin down one spot to seven, and Providence one spot down to eight. Quinnipiac stays at nine. Northeastern rounds out the top ten. And 11 through 20 goes like this. Clarkson, Penn State, Ohio State, North Dakota, Boston College, which is interesting. BC has a uh, losing record right now, 2-3, and three, yet they're still in the top 20. St. Cloud is 16. Then UMass Lowell, Bowling Green, Harvard, who hasn't played yet, and Northern Michigan. And that is your top 20 in the NCAA. And some interesting matchups this weekend in uh, Division One play. Well, the Ivies do get going this weekend. Yale is hosting Brown, and Harvard welcomes Dartmouth to town, so at least a couple of those clubs get going. And I see Cornell is at Michigan State to play the Spartans. Colgate at Providence. Arizona State hosting Quinnipiac this weekend. Denver takes on Niagara. Princeton is in Minnesota to play the St. Cloud State Huskies. Other games of note, Boston College is at UNH. Northeastern is hosting Massachusetts. BU is in Maine to take on the Black Bears. Minnesota State and Bowling Green collide. That could be a good one. The only conference game in the NCHC, at least on Friday, uh, sees the Western Michigan Broncos at Colorado College. How about Wade Allison? uh, Hurt again. Haven't heard the severity if he's going to be back this weekend, but missed last weekend's play. Every Flyers fan out there is like, ugh, not again. And I'm sure Allison feeling the same way. In the Big Ten, Wisconsin will go to Penn State. That should be an offensive uh, weekend series. Michigan is at Ohio State, and the Golden Gophers are hosting the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Let's get to the guest list and uh, what's coming down the pipe today. Four guests you're going to hear from on the show. I mentioned Patrick McNeil, the voice of the Cape Breton Eagles. He's going to lead the way as my CHL insider. That's brought to you by the Store Next Door company in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, employing people with disabilities, collecting as many broken hockey sticks as they can get their hands on, and taking those sticks and turning them to some uh, real cool stuff. Go to their website, thestorenextdoor.ca, check out their catalog, and see what uh, interests you. Really great cause. I think you should support them for sure. From the queue, we'll go to an in-the-dub segment. Larry Fisher writes for the Hockey Writers, also does some scouting work for uh, future considerations. He's going to be my guest we're going to look closely at the BC division up to this point. Of course, the Kelowna Rockets hosting the Memorial Cup this year. So lots to talk about with Larry Fisher. Then it'll be our NCAA campus report. Uh, Chris Peters from ESPN, my guest. We're going to chat uh, about a lot of stuff. Not all of it uh, just college related as uh, Kirby Doc's name comes up. I wanted to get uh, Chris's take on that situation with the Chicago Blackhawks. It's been announced he's going to stay with the Blackhawks. Obviously a blow to the Blades. But we'll talk to Chris about that, also about the changes to the, um, well, the scrapping of the All-American prospect game and the changes to the USHL top prospect game. I'll ask him about the Wisconsin Badgers and why so much attention for Cole Caulfield and, well, Alex Turcotte drafted higher than him is kind of being lost in the shuffle. So lots to talk about with Chris. And uh, we'll close out today's show with the 2020 draft spotlight. 
And for that, we're going over to Sweden. And Noel Gundler is uh, going to be my guest. He's uh, pegged by most as a uh, probable first-round pick in the 2020 draft. I think you'll like that conversation. So we'll close the show out with that one. So lots to get to today, but we'll start it off with our CHL Insider segment. Patrick McNeil, the voice of the Cape Breton Eagles, he's up first here on the Pipeline Show. And Raymond stays with him, Lafreniere pokes it ahead, still has it. Rolling puck, Lafreniere works it, shoots, scores! What a goal by Alexis Lafreniere! A superstar in the making! This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks, a lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Yes, that's awesome. We start off this week's episode of the Pipeline Show with our CHL Insider segment, brought to you by the store next door in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, employing people with disabilities and collecting all the broken hockey sticks they can get their hands on and turning that junk into some uh, absolute treasure, some really cool stuff that they make. You can check out uh, their their catalog on their website at thestorenextdoor.ca, and uh, see what's uh, what might be of interest for you. Uh, my uh, CHL insider today, uh, we go all the way out to uh, Nova Scotia, and uh, Patrick McNeil, voice of the Cape Breton No Longer Screaming Eagles. Uh, welcome to the Pipeline Show uh, again, Patrick. How are you? Good. Thanks, Guy. I've, uh, I think I've got used to that by now, but people who aren't invested in the queue or have other things that they have to follow and do your hockey it's still a bit of an adjustment for them i think well it was always a mouthful for the me team to name, say. I should say. yeah yeah <laughs> that's right <laughs> it was always a mouthful for me to say so i'm actually happy with the change but it actually has taken me a few times to actually uh i keep catching myself uh i still say screaming eagles every once in a while but it's a lot easier yeah well i was actually thinking by the end of the year i might do an outtake reel from the early parts of the season uh, with interviews <laughs> with players and whatnot but I guess uh, it is a little bit cleaner, and the Eagles are trying to uh, channel the uh, Anaheim Ducks spirit, who you may recall won the Stanley Cup the first year they dropped the word Mikey. So we won't complain if we get the same result in Cape Breton. Well, pretty good start to the season uh, right now as they look at the standings in the Eastern Conference. They're tied for top spot with 24 points with the Moncton Wildcats, as you and I are chatting at least uh, here on a Wednesday and uh, going into this weekend's games. Uh, what's gone right uh, so far for the Eagles? Well, what's interesting is before a lot of people hear this, 
the Eagles have a home and home set with Moncton. So that's going to probably tell the tale. Mm. What's been most interesting is the name most of your listeners would know in the Eagles has barely played. Matthias LaFerriere, who was at the World Junior Camp in the summer, uh, got hit from behind in the first game of the season. I don't even think he had any points at that point of the game, and he's been out ever since. Uh, we're hoping he comes back this month, but the real question is what's going to happen to the Lions when he comes back, because right now this is a team that is uh, leading the league in goals, and it's just been the top line has just been unbelievable. Uh, you have uh, Igor Sokolov, who went to Columbus camp two years in a row, was undrafted. Uh, fans might remember he played in the top prospects game. He actually scored in that game when he was undrafted. And he's just been bulldozing through people. Uh, Sean Boudry is an overage four who was drafted by Minnesota. He's uh, been great on that line as well. And Ryan Francis is a small, shifty player. He's a December birthday, so this is his third year in the league, and this is his first year being draft eligible. He's really had a breakout party this year. You could always see the skill. So that line has been kind of leading the parade, but the offense has been deep in general. Uh, kind of uh, a quiet group in terms of the defense. They're quietly veterans, I guess you could say, because they have four 19-year-olds on the two uh, top pairs there. Mm. And pair Adam McCormick and Jared Baker's both been really good. I think they're the top two in plus minus are close to it and among the leading uh, point getters as well. Uh, Kevin Mandelise is an Ottawa Senators draft pick. He's the goaltender. Uh, the big change in the offseason is that uh, Jake Grimes came in as head coach and he had been the assistant coach in Guelph. An interesting tie-in there was that he was assistant under, of course, George Burnett, and George Burnett won the Calder Cup with the Cape Breton Oilers back in 93. And uh, Jake's from Nova Scotia, obviously, uh, has winning experience if he won uh, in Guelph. And, and he uh, brought in two new assistants. Uh, Matt Anthony is a guy from Nova Scotia, and also Chris Culligan, who's from Cape Breton and happens to be the Eagles' all-time leading scorer. And you factor in those two guys and uh, goalie coach uh, Chuck Grant and the goalie uh, the goalie coach supervisor, I guess we can say, Scott Guthrow. It's an all Nova Scotian coaching staff. And uh, thus far, they've uh, been doing wonders with a team that's been fun to watch. And as you said, tied for first in the Eastern Conference. But the East, just like last year, is very much the strength of the league. So going to be a lot of tough games, but that's a little bit about what's been going on right in Cape Breton thus far. Well, and you mentioned the home-and-home home this weekend uh, with or this weekend and uh, with Moncton. Is it a surprise at all that these two clubs are at the top of the conference right now? I don't think so. I think it's pretty much what people expected. Yeah. It's interesting if you look at the national rankings prior to the year, Halifax was getting a lot of respect, and I think that's because fans saw them or the people making the ratings saw them at the Memorial Cup, and they're seeing those key pieces are back. Like Ben Wallabier grew his back. Jared McIsaac is on the roster, but obviously he's out with injury. He hasn't played yet. He's not going to be back till November. And Maxime Trapagne, star 20-year-old, back as well. Raphael Lavois. The Halifax team, if there was no line changes, would be a powerhouse. Right. But, of course, depth is an issue in the QMJHL. So, yeah, the Eagles actually are, as we record this, the Eagles beat Halifax 7-1 last night. Halifax, in the previous game there, they won 8-2. And I can't remember a time in the rivalry between the two teams. It's got to be one of the best rivalries in the CHL. where The two teams were both good on paper, and one of them just absolutely smoked the other in consecutive games, both on the road. Hmm. So, uh, you look at that, Cape Breton and Moncton have strong rosters on paper coming into the year. Halifax, as I said, top-heavy. Uh, you know, those guys, don't get me wrong, their top guys can win games on their own. And Alexi Gravel is an NHL-drafted goaltender. Justin Barron on the back end is going to be a first-round pick in the NHL. So they have the talent, and they are winning some games, but they, like I said, the depth is the issue. Maybe kind of the opposite problem in Charlottetown. Um, they have a very good team that's deep, but maybe not as top-heavy. So I think those were the four teams people were looking at, but I think most people who were watching the division closely were zeroing in on Cape Breton and Moncton. Now, Moncton, one thing that was interesting with them is they had uh, three question marks, I guess you could say, 
because they had a good core of 20-year-olds they expected to come back, and then two of them unexpectedly signed AHL contracts. Because Jeremy McKenna jumped up to sign a contract with uh, Calgary's firm team. McKenna, very good junior player, but a bit on the smaller side, so it was kind of assumed he plays a 20. But he signs a pro contract, and uh, Jonathan Aspero, not necessarily the most offensive defenseman, but really tough as nails, really aggravating to play against. And In fact, uh, Ryan, Fra- Ryan Francis that I just mentioned uh, earlier, I asked him before, he said Aspero was the toughest defenseman he had to play against in his time playing hockey. So Aspero, same as McKenna, signed an AHL deal. And the Wildcats took a bit of a gamble when they picked uh, Axel Anderson from Sweden, Boston Bruins draft pick, in the import draft. So they didn't know if he was going to come. At the beginning of the year, As- uh, Anderson hadn't reported. McKenna and Aspero had signed in the, NH- in the AHL. Aspro is still there, but McKenna came back, and Anderson has reported to Moncton as well. So those guys coming in, plus the trade for Olivier Rodrigue in the offseason, uh, Jacob Pelche, first-round draft pick, uh, Calgary Flames coming back, that's a very strong team. So it's going to be really interesting. I'm really looking forward to these two games between the two teams. Uh, it'll be our first look at Anderson because the day he reported, his paperwork hadn't been sorted out yet, so we didn't get to see him that day. So really looking forward to seeing how these two take up. It's a shame we don't have LaFerriere yet, but it's uh, going to be some good battles in the airtime this year for sure. Patrick McNeil is the uh, voice of the Cape Breton Eagles, and he's my CHL insider on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Uh, also in the Eastern Conference, you've got the Ramuski uh, Oceanic with uh, three of the top scorers uh, in, well, the three top scorers in the queue right now. Is this a, a very top-heavy team? I mean, that's obviously a, a pretty dynamic line if uh, Alexi Lafreniere and Cedric Paré and and Dimitri Zavgarodny, if uh, I came even close to pronouncing that. I think that. it's Zavgaroni. Uh, right. Pronunciations may vary on that one. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, are they all on the same line? They are all on the same line, and we saw Ramuski once, and that was not a fun game for us. That was actually uh, the Eagles' uh, worst game of the season. I can't remember the exact score, but it was a blow. And it, was, it was a close game in parts, but then it just kind of got out of hand. But, yeah, the I mentioned uh, Sokoloff, uh, Francis, and uh, Boudry are playing together here in Lavoie, Gru, and Trapagne playing in Halifax. Those are both really good lines. However, the top line in the league this year most definitely has been the trio of Lafreniere, Pare, and Zabroni. I mean, just three different is Lafreniere is like the master of all trades, and then Zabroni's your typical, you know, shifty import skilled European, and Pare's your big truck there on that first line. Pare's an interesting story because when he was picked, St. John had four picks in the first round. And Pere was considered a bit of a reach where they picked him at number 10. And obviously he's not with the Sea Dogs anymore, but he was one of these guys you thought if he could get it together, his skill and his size. And maybe if he was, if he was just a shade ahead in his development, he'd probably be playing pro. But as a result, now he's almost in a league where he's too much of a man to play in. So he's uh, really kind of being a wrecking ball there, well ahead in front in the uh, goal scoring department. And of course, you, you've heard all about Alexi Lafreniere. You know what he's all about. In terms of this Ramuski team, yeah, I would say for sure uh, being top-heavy is, is a bit of a concern. Um, they have a great goaltender, Colt Nellis. Um, I think they're expecting uh, uh, Chris Verinas to take a step back on the blue line. He's not really producing a ton offensively, but it's definitely – they lost some key players from last year. Uh, Charles Edward Destu was a big key for them on the blue line in terms of being a really good two-way player. So there's not a ton of star power there outside the top players. Um, I think, actually, uh, Zachary Bolduc was a player they picked in the first round who dropped a little bit because of uh, NCAA aspirations, which was kind of the, a theme of the Q draft this year. 
and he's coming. He's actually been given a top six role, and he's he's looked pretty good in that role. But I think it's a team that's uh, going to have to make some make some moves to shore up. They can't win on that one line, kind of similar to Halifax, really. But the top line has uh, certainly been very impressive. But I think unlike where Halifax hosted the Memorial Cup last year, I think some people think they're going to be the team that step back. Whereas Ramuski, you look at them, it's like okay, this is a team. You know, they may have some holes, but they're probably going to go all in to try to win Lafreniere's last year in the league. All right, well, like I have to ask you a little bit about uh, Lafreniere, and, and just from your perspective, having uh, been able to watch him uh, several times uh, with your own eyes, is this a you know a Nathan McKinnon type uh, impact player at the next level? Is Sean Couturier, or is he Sidney Crosby? Uh, you know, what are you expecting from Lafreniere once he's uh, done in the queue and, and moves on to the NHL next year? Yeah, I would say McKinnon caliber would probably be more apt. Uh, obviously, Crosby is a, it's an extremely uh, yeah. extremely high standard to, to reach up to. And actually, it's interesting Lafreniere is there because the, the Oceanique uh, started their season. It's the 25th season, so they're throwing all the bells and whistles. And the first the first night of the year was Sidney Crosby retirement night. <laughs> and uh, the Jersey retirement, I think, was 80 minutes long. <laughs> Somebody was joking they were going to go for 87 minutes. And uh, Crosby actually sat down with some of his old teammates, Mark Tobin and Eric Nielsen, who were uh, players with the Oceanique when he was there. And they all sat in the dressing room with the current players. It was kind of a cool story. But So Lafreniere, I don't think he's going to be uh, reaching that uh, level of expectation. But we saw him in the playoffs last year. Again, extremely well-rounded player, good at everything. So, you know, I don't think uh, he, he has the, the Crosby wow factor, but I say McKinnon is probably a, a good comparison in terms of impact. And you know, I would expect, you know, he'll be, you know, he'll be somebody who steps in right away next year and is a solid player in the NHL. It's, it's a bit different too, I guess, for the players a late birthday because he's, you know, kind of dominating based on the fact it's his third year major junior. But, right. you know, I, I don't think anybody that picks him is going to be disappointed next year. Uh, when you look at the standings uh, throughout the rest of the league and you see some of the teams that have really struggled out of the gate, are, are there any surprises? I mean, I think everybody expected Acadie Bathurst would be, would be a weak team this year. What about Gatineau and Victoriaville uh, out in the other conference uh, with, uh, you know, not a whole lot going for them so far? And St. John seems to be struggling again this year. Yeah, there's, uh, there's definitely some takeaways from the early part of the season. Uh, Victoriaville last year, they were a team that really went all in in 2017-2018. And me and a lot of other people who are watching the league were just expecting them to be tire fire proportions last season. And then they end up getting home ice in the Western Conference and winning in the first round. Now, mind you, the West was significantly weaker than the East. But last year, they vastly overachieved. And I thought this year that you know they maybe just kind of stay the course. But obviously, it's been a really rough year for them. Uh, Gatineau, I think it's just that's just a situation where history is catching up with them. For the longest time, they were the team that you know tried to be pretty good every year and didn't really build around draft picks, and you can only do that for so long. And then even when you change course, it kind of it takes a bit of time to redirect. And I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Lucas Pincari and, and his podcast. He had predicted that, that they were going to miss the playoffs. He's like, it's finally going to be the year because it's been 30 years, I think, since they've missed. And uh, for those of you unfamiliar, if you look at the Q standings, it's a little bit weird where there's 10 teams in the in the East and there's eight in the West. Well. What they do is if ninth in the East is better than eighth in the West, they cross over. So right now, Gatineau would be out of the playoffs. So I think uh, it's maybe overdue. St. John is interesting. You look at St. John and Shawinigan, where kind of teams are on a similar path. Uh, St. John won the, uh, you know, they obviously have a lot of success winning championships in the past. And, you know, after winning in 2017, there was a big rebuild going on there. In 2018, they managed to get seven of the top, 40 ranked players in the Q draft because they had five picks 
they had three picks in round one, two picks in round two. They ended up trading for Alex Rover from Cape Breton, who was our first round pick. And then Dawson Stairs, a nephew of Matt Stairs, of course, former big league slugger. They managed to get him in the seventh round, I think, and another NCAA guy. So they have a ton of really talented 17-year-olds. So you, sometimes when you have a group like that, you don't know how it's going to go. And that's why it hasn't gone well. Part of that is the conference they're in. I'm sure, you know, people are watching. Uh, Josh Dixon might be under the microscope there coaching that team. So I expect them to take more of a step forward this year. I thought they could be a bit of a wild card. But at the same time, you know, they are in a tough division. So that's uh, not helping matters. In terms of positive surprises, for me, the two would be Quebec and Drummondville. Mm-hmm. Drummondville is just coming off a nine-game winning streak, which to me is incomprehensible. I kind of looked at them this year the same way I looked at Victoriaville the year before, but uh, they had two guys that were first-round picks in their draft year in 2017, Xavier Simino and Dawson Mercer, who are uh, lighting it up. And Dawson Mercer is an interesting story, actually, because he's a late birthday, and the Central Scouting put out their list, and they had four players in the queue listed A, and then they actually did a revision to bump Dawson Mercer up to A status. So him and Seaman have been playing well. They got uh, a rough ride their last two games, so I think Drummondville's coming back down to earth. Same with Quebec. Uh, Quebec's a team really good 20-year-olds, but other than that, they're very young, and they're starting to come back to earth. They've lost three of their last four, I believe, so I think that's uh, that's uh, going to be an awakening for them. But good uh, news for them is they gambled on James Malatesta in the seventh round, another NCAA guy, see a pattern here, and he's been one of the top 16-year-olds in the league, and outside the 20-year-olds, he's leading their offense. So to me, uh, Quebec and Drummondville uh, would be positive surprises. Val Dor was a team I expected to take a mild step forward. They really struggled out of the gate, and now they're on a five-game winning streak, so I think that's uh, course correction going on there in Val Dor, so that's a little bit what's uh, going on around the league. I noticed uh, in St. John, Max Chaikovich uh, has only played three games. He got a serious injury, or what's the status there? Yeah, we uh, actually haven't had the chance to see uh, St. John a lot this year. It was Oddly enough, uh, Chaikovich had a hard time staying in the lineup last year. There was a couple times he was a healthy scratch uh, for uh, discipline reasons. But, yeah, it's uh, it's been an injury this year, which is obviously hurting them because you know he's – you know, he's a year older than all those other guys that I mentioned and has that year a few experience. So I haven't heard much of a timeline on him, so I don't know when he's due back. As I said, we haven't seen St. John. So hopefully it's going to be soon because obviously uh, they could uh, they could use that based on the way their season's going. Any other storylines uh, that you're following uh, right now, uh, Patrick? I think just the big thing is, you know, the dominance kind of of the Eastern Conference. Of course, we'd be remiss uh, at we talk about the East, but of course, the top team in the league right now is in the West, the Sherbrooke Phoenix, and they are 9-0-1 in their last 10 games. They came to Sydney on last Saturday, and that was an excellent hockey game. I was really looking forward to it, and it was great. Their uh, top line's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Sam Poulin, of course, coming off being drafted in the first round uh, by Pittsburgh. He's an exceptional player, and I'm kind of curious uh, to see how they would play out. And yeah, This one uh, might surprise some people. Uh, their goaltender, Samuel Hillevi, had a very strong game. He's from Slovakia. Now, that's noteworthy because unlike the other two leagues, the Q didn't get any import goaltenders last year, and he's the only one in the Q this year. So uh, a lot of people didn't even realize that that ban has been lifted last year, but I think they're very happy and kind of a winning scenario because uh, he ends up pushing Oliver Okolar out of the lineup, and he seems to be doing pretty well out in Lethbridge there, so I guess everybody wins in that scenario. But yeah, Sherbrooke is their team. They came into the league in 2012-2013. They're the most recent expansion team in the Q. And, you know, they didn't win a single playoff series until last year. So I think there's a team maybe not getting the hype of, like, Ramuski and, and Shakutin with some big names there. Uh, 
It was another unfortunate story, actually. Uh, kind of a dark horse uh, candidate to go in the first round. And uh, Shakutubi, Theo Rochette's uh, been out with Mono. He's been uh, limited to just a few games, so hopefully he'll be back soon. But, yeah, definitely watching uh, Sherbrooke to see uh, what they do. And it's uh, going to be a fairly competitive uh, year in the queue this year. I think you look Moncton and Cape Breton are obviously in conversation uh, you know, Sherbrooke and I think Scudamy and Ramuski as well are all kind of your teams that could win, and I think it's going to be a fun season. Lots of uh, cool stories to follow for sure in the queue and some uh, great races. We've seen a lot of parity over the, the last few years at the top end, at least uh, in the queue, and that makes it exciting. Patrick, always exciting when I get to have you on the show. Uh, thanks for bringing us all up to speed. All right, thanks, Guy. Anytime. That's Patrick McNeil, voice of the uh, Cape Breton Eagles. And I mentioned in the first segment, uh, that conversation I had uh, with Patrick was yesterday. So the first game of that home-and-home series uh, between the Eagles and the Moncton Wildcats is in the books. 10-4. Moncton uh, really having their way with the Eagles in that one. And the bad news is that Kevin Mandelise, the uh, starting netminder for the Eagles, goes down to injury, leaves halfway through the game with an apparent lower body injury. Uh, looked at and uh, Jeremy Fraser, who uh, covers the team as a beat writer for the uh, Cape Breton Post, he's uh, reported and tweeted it last night that it looked to be uh, looked to be his leg. So you don't want to speculate. There's supposed to be an update. Uh, he'll he'll get reevaluated here today, uh, but I haven't seen any sort of news. You don't want to speculate too much, but you know if it's a high ankle sprain or something like that, that goalies are you know often uh, susceptible to. Uh, that would be uh, terrible news for the Cape Breton Eagles. Next up on the Pipeline Show, we're going to uh, head all the way to the WHL. So from one end of the country to the other, Larry Fisher, who writes for the Hockey Writers, also does some scouting for future considerations. He's my guest for the In the Dub segment. We're going to focus on the BC division. We'll tackle all of that next here on the Pipeline Show. And Doc will get back to it. Dock at his blue line. Comes to center. Ducks around Leeson. In over the line on the wing. Trying to go wide around. Pahal gets in front. Shoots and scores! Oh, let's go! Kirby Dock puts hand to the ear as if to listen for the boos from the crowd here at the Art Harris Center. But what a brilliant individual effort by Kirby Dock. And the Blades have opened the scoring in game two in Prince Albert. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades, and this is the Pipeline Show. into your weekend with Edmonton Oil Kings Hockey at Rogers Place. Squaring off with the Saskatoon Blades tonight. Don't miss your shot to see your Oil Kings live. Come see your WHL leading Oil Kings take on their East Division rival live tonight. Oil Kings Blades. Tonight at 7. Great family entertainment at Rogers Place starts at just $20 a seat. Save on day of game pricing now at oilkings.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. That's right. Now, say my name. With Guy Flaming. You're goddamn right. Let's continue on with the uh, WHL segment. It's uh, in the dub segment brought to you by dubnetwork.ca. You can stay up to date on everything happening around the Western Hockey League by checking out dubnetwork.ca. Uh, make it a stop every day and you, uh, you'll know what's going on in the around the Western Hockey League too just like my next guest uh, knows what's happening around uh, especially the BC division Larry Fisher 
uh, joining me once again uh, from uh, the Hockey Writers. Where, what else are you doing these days, uh, Larry? I'm scouting for FC Hockey, so I'm uh, one of their Western Conference scouts in the Western Hockey League, which has been a, a good new experience for me. I mean, I've been a scout at heart uh, all yep. along uh, yep. from high school on, and, and I've managed to, to get into something a little more formal this year and seeing how they do things from that end. And it's obviously a different way of watching the game from, from a media perspective, but uh, I'm enjoying the scouting side of things too. Awesome. Well, that's good because I know that you've, as you said, uh, scouted heart for a long time. I've always followed your stuff uh, leading up to the draft, and uh, it's always been interesting for me to read as well. Uh, let's get to the uh, to the hockey stuff, uh, especially uh, we're going to focus on the BC division in the uh, Western Hockey League, and uh, I guess maybe we'll start with the team that's in your backyard. You're still in the uh, Kelowna area, aren't you? I am, yep. Still uh, based here in West Kelowna, yep. All right, well, let's start with the Rockets then, hosting the Memorial Cup this year. Currently tied for top spot in the BC division with the Kamloops Blazers. Uh, the Vancouver Giants, not all that far behind. But what you've seen from the Rockets this year, uh, what sort of impression have you got from the team? You know, obviously being the Memorial Cup host, uh, expectations are high. And I think for the most part, they're uh, in an evaluation process or evaluation period right now just you know, Bruce Hamilton said prior to the season he wanted to see what he had and he would take his time before making any any trades to, to upgrade the roster for the Memorial Cup, although he had already obviously made a few trades in the offseason to bring in guys like Dylan Hamilook and and uh, obviously got Sean Comrie in a separate deal, Jake Lee in that same deal with Hamilook. So he tweaked the roster and, and upgraded it in the offseason, but he hasn't made many moves or only the one to get Carson Sass as an overager uh, right out of the start of the season. But basically, I think it's a, it's an evaluation time for the Rockets, and then they're just trying to see what they have. Uh, but now that the calendar's flipping to November, I think this is where you're going to see Bruce Hamilton start to, to work the phone lines a little more and, and look for some pieces of the puzzle between now and the January 10th trade deadline to really uh, turn this team into a true contender. But when you look at the standings, like you said, tied with Kamloops, for first place in the BC division, uh, they can't complain with where they're at so far, and there's still room for improvement. Pavel Novak, uh, interesting player to watch this year. Uh, he's from the Czech Republic, but he's a rookie this year in the Western Hockey League. Draft eligible as well, so I imagine you're getting your eyes uh, uh, on him as much as possible. Uh, tell me about him as a player. He's second in uh, team scoring right now. Yeah, I've filed uh, at least a handful of reports on Novak already, and he's a uh... He's an impressive player who didn't take long to transition to the North American game because he plays a, a North American style. He's a he's a real gritty kid. He's not afraid to get physical, uh, finish his checks, but at the same time, he's got a, a real high-end offensive skill set as well. So he's been a catalyst for the Rockets. They don't have a, a lot of guys that uh, up front in their forward group that, that necessarily, you know, drive the offense. And he is one guy that is, you know, he's dangerous on the power play. He's got a really good shot, but he also sees the ice really well. And he's, uh, developing some chemistry with Nolan foot, which is important. Uh, they're not playing together right now at even strength, but they have, a uh, in the past and they've had some success together in that, uh, regard as well as on the power play. So he's, uh, he's an impressive player for sure that, uh, like you said, a draft-eligible guy that is a rookie in the league, and for him to be putting up the numbers that he is on a team that, to some extent, still struggles to score is very impressive. So uh, I think uh, everybody is thrilled with what they've seen from Pavel Novak so far and, and how much more does he have to his game as he continues to settle in. But uh, the early returns are better than anyone could have envisioned, even though he was a standout at the Holinka Gretzky up in the summer and mm -hmm. and they knew they were getting a, a, a good offensive player but he's uh, exceeded expectations with his stat line 
you mentioned the, the Rockets haven't been exactly filling the net uh, with an abundance so far this year. I'm, I'm actually surprised uh, at some of the the uh, the players uh, that I expected more offense from. Uh, Dylan Hamlock, you mentioned a second ago, he's got 10 points in 14 games. I actually think he's underachieved uh, thus far. I, I expected more from him, and maybe that's still to come. I haven't watched the Rockets play, so just because he's got 10 points uh, and I, maybe I was expecting 16 or 17 at this point doesn't necessarily mean he's He's playing poorly. I'll let you tell me about that. But also Trevor Wong, who had monster numbers as a Bantam player, uh, and it was uh, pretty highly touted and uh, made lots of news uh, by detouring from Denver to come to Kelowna. He's only got two points so far this year, uh, both of them goals. But are you at all surprised at the lack of offense from a couple of guys, uh, those two in particular? Well, we can start with Hamillick. And then being that he is an older player in the league, he's a, a late birthday. So even though he was just drafted, he's already 19 and or turning 19. And he's a... Uh, uh, I guess turned 19 yesterday on October 30th, but he's a a player that, like I said, he's got 10 points. But when you look at his game by game, he got four points in the season opener. Mm-hmm. So that only leaves six other points. He had a three point game as well and a two point game. So he's only actually got points in four of of the 14 games so far. So Dylan Hamlick, uh, they would like to see him get going and be more of a consistent force. And again, he's he's kind of a man among boys out there. He's a big bodied kid that should be able to produce that more consistently at this level. So I yeah. think I don't want to say disappointment in Dylan Hamlet because we have to remember he missed the entire second half of his draft year, uh, didn't play a single game in 2019 until he got to Kelowna for this season uh, because he had, had torn up his knee uh, just before Christmas or just before New Year's last year. So he had a, a, a recovery from that, and maybe he's still getting up to speed in some sense. And even the, the four-point season – opener as he said you know a lot of those bounces they weren't highlight real goal put it that way they were kind of bouncing in off him and and stuff like that but he was a, a big body presence in front of the net that night and then again I think he's gone uh one two three four five seven eight games without a point right now so yeah. I mean obviously they want to get him going again as soon as possible and then when you mentioned Trevor Wong uh you know I think he's been playing down the depth chart he hasn't had a ton of power play time if any He's playing sort of on a, on a kid line, a fourth line with uh, another fellow rookie uh, in Jake Poole, and it's kind of been Kyle Crosby or somebody else filling in in the middle there. So he hasn't had a, a big push offensively the way, obviously, Dylan Hamlick's a, a feature player. And the thing with Trevor Wong is you watch him, and he's an exciting player. He's got great speed. Um, he's involved. He, he has had uh, probably more scoring chances than Dylan Hamlick. It's just he hasn't quite finished off some of his odd man rush chances from generated from his speed. But I think Trevor Wong has a, a bright future in the league. But you're right. I think uh, they'd like to see him kind of increase his role offensively as this season continues, especially being a 16-year-old on a Memorial Cup roster. If he's going to stay in the lineup past January 10th, assuming they make some upgrades, he's going to need to start factoring into the scoring on a, on a more regular basis as well. Well, some of those uh, 2018 uh, Bantam draft uh, guys, are certainly uh, a lot is expected from that draft class. Cole Cylinder's leading the league in scoring right now uh, among rookies with 17 points. But there are a lot of guys from that draft class who maybe in similar situations as what you described with Wong in that they're playing a little bit further down the depth chart. And I know expectations at the start of the year were pretty high for Logan Stankov in, in uh, Kamloops. We'll shift to, to the Blazers now. But, you know, his preseason was uh, was fantastic for the Blazers. And uh, he's got six points at this uh, stage of the regular season. Uh, from when you've uh, seen the Blazers and, and what's your impression of uh, the way Stankoven is uh, carried over into the regular season? 
Yeah, I think uh, the bar was set so high for him to be this dominant rookie and, and run away with the rookie scoring race just because he led the entire preseason in scoring. And I think uh, probably frustrating a bit for Logan Stankoven to to be stuck where he is with four goals and six points through 14 games. But uh, you watch him, and, and he's still contributing in a lot of ways. And, and obviously, Kamloops is having success as a team, but he's part of that, even though he's maybe not showing up on the score sheet. He's a, a mature player, uh for his age and and you know as a 16 year old I think he is one of those kids who's definitely going to come on strong as the the year progresses and he's probably underachieving right now he's he's getting his you know decent amount of chances he's got 40 shots through 14 games so that's you know a good total and uh, I think uh, as the season goes he's really going to pick it up and that's going to almost be a a trade deadline addition if you want to say for Kamloops just because I think as he hits his stride and and much like Connor Zary did last season, you know, in the second half, Connor Zary really took off for Kamloops. And if Logan Stankoven can do that this season, that's uh, another big uh, addition of sorts for Kamloops. But I think uh, he's a confident kid. He's a mature kid. And I think it's going to click for him sooner than later because you watch him and you see him making the right plays all over the ice. And then the fact that the offense just hasn't come yet, it, it's only a matter of time for Logan Stankoven. Larry Fisher uh, from the Hockey Writers in the SC Hockey, my guest here on the Pipeline Show, uh, looking at the uh, WHL's BC division. Uh, continuing with uh, Kamloops, you mentioned Connor Zary leading the league in scoring. Obviously, that means he's leading the Blazers in scoring as well. Uh, and uh, another draft-eligible player. So what have you seen from him this season? You know, I compare Connor Zary to a, a Bo Horvat-type guy. Uh, he's kind of the uh, everybody likes to say 200 foot player nowadays. That's kind of a, a catch word, a buzzword, 200 foot player. And, and Connor Zary is absolutely that. He's a, a guy who plays in all situations for the Blazers. He's obviously on centers their first line. He's on their top power play unit. He's also out there for uh, a lot of penalty kills. So he's kind of a, a guy that can do it all, a jack of all trades offensively. Uh, I'm a bit surprised by the numbers he's putting up, although 21 points in 14 games, he only five goals. So, I mean, it's not a, a huge stat line. And, and realistically, nobody is, is lighting the WHL on fire. So most years after 14 games, 21 points probably isn't leading the Western Hockey League. But uh, this year, there hasn't been a, a huge scorer across the league. So uh, as a result, he's ranking right up there. But I, I do think uh, he's obviously improving his draft stock by, by being at the top of the Western Hockey League scoring race. And I think he's become a, a consensus first-round pick if he wasn't already uh, – heading into the season being that he he was a standout as an underager at the world under 18s in April he made a that was sort of his coming out party for the rest of the hockey world who hadn't seen Connor Zary those following the WHL in the second half last season he kind of helped take Kamloops on his back and and push the Blazers in, in through the tiebreaker game and into the playoffs so I think uh, he's just building on what he what he accomplished to end last season and he's had a uh, a real strong start to his draft year. The uh, duo from Mar Wayne, Zane Franklin and Oren Santanzo, both from Mar Wayne, Alberta, small town. Uh, those two are having uh, big contributions this year for Kamloops. The trade with Saskatoon to get Ryan Hughes, boy, that one surprised me from a Saskatoon perspective. I, I like that deal for the Blazers a lot, and it looks like it's paid off here in the early going. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Hughes, uh, in his debut, scored the overtime winner against Kelowna when he got to Kamloops, and he's kind of, you know, you look at the coach there, Sean Clouston, and, and where he comes from, Medicine Hat, they've always had small, skilled, fast forwards in, in Medicine Hat. And so Ryan Hughes fits the Sean Clouston system uh, to a T, and, and it, it's worked out. He's got, you know, a 12 points in 11 games so far in Kamloops, and he's been an impact player 
uh, on the power play at even strength in, in all situations for the Blazers. And, and both their additions, their overage additions, uh, Ryan Hughes up front and Max Martin uh, on defense. He's got seven points in eight games, including three goals as a defenseman for Kamloops. So both those uh, upgrades to their overagers are, are the reason that Kamloops is uh, right at top, right at the top of the BC division. Uh, both Hughes and Martin have made significant impacts since coming over from the, the East division to, to the BC division. And, you, and like you said, you got a veteran group now with Franklin and Santazo and, and, and Hughes and Martin. It's a good leadership group in Kamloops who, you know, looking at Zary and Stankoven, people said, Oh, that's a younger team. They're, they're developing. They're still building while well, you add in, Hughes and Martin and you've already got guys like Franklin and Santazo and and even a guy like Montagna Onyabuchi there's some real leadership there in Kamloops and and those guys are pushing that team to to be a contender this season then let's go to the Vancouver Giants I'm a little bit surprised to see them where they are in the standings uh, this is the team I mean a preseason pick for me they were the the top team I had in the division although the three teams that we're talking about so far I had them all pretty much neck and neck but uh, they've they've struggled here as of late. What's gone wrong uh, the, the, over the last couple of weeks for the Giants? I think, like you said, everybody sort of thought they would be the front runner in that three horse race with Kamloops and Kelowna. Uh, so I kind of said, you know, Vancouver is the team that's experiencing the hangover from going to the the Western Conference Championship Game Seven of the final round last season, uh, returning such a strong core, especially on defense and and in goal. Uh, both goaltenders back, primarily the the full defense group. Everybody sort of thought, okay, if nothing else, they're going to win two one games and, and run away with the BC division, or or you know have a gap on top at this point. Uh, especially, you would expect that experience would help them start strong. But they've had a a sluggish. They've been sluggish out of the gate, and I think the the big thing when you look at that lineup is they're lacking some offense up front. Uh, they don't have a lot of older, strong forwards. Uh, they got their import, obviously, Milos Roman, and they got Tristan Nielsen, who's having a, a nice, you know, point per game season for them. But beyond that, their, their offense from the forwards is, is a bit of a concern. And even last season, you know, Bowen Byram pushed so much or contributed so much offense from the, from the blue line. And, and they've kind of got a lot of contributions from their defensemen offensively. But this season, especially the, the forwards, uh, the older forwards, we'll say, haven't uh, picked up where the, the guys that left, uh, they haven't taken that ball and ran with it. And I think one thing you look at with Vancouver, especially the forwards, is they got three young draft-eligible guys, um, Justin Sordiff, Lucas Svechkovsky, and then the kid that's just getting going, Cole Shepard, who's up to three points in four games. I think those three guys uh, are going to improve as the season goes along, and then that's where the kind of that second wave of offense will come for Vancouver. But I definitely think uh, Matt Bard, or sorry, not Matt Bardsley, Barkley Parneda is uh, working the phone lines as well, trying to get another top six older forward, if not two of them, uh, to help push Vancouver back to being the, the team to beat in BC. And one of the other things that stands out to me with the Giants is in net, where they're, you know, last year they ran David Tendek and Trent Minor pretty much back and forth and didn't seem to matter which guy was in net. They were having success, but. Minor seems statistically, at least, looks like he's really struggling this year. Tendax numbers are still great, but uh, Minor doesn't seem to be having that same sort of success. Yeah, he's one of those returnees that hasn't picked up where he left off last season. And obviously last year, Trent Minor, uh, he was a first-round pick coming into the, the WHL, so he had some some hype, some pedigree behind him. But he really pushed David Tendick last season, like you said, into a platoon rotation 
uh, Tendick maybe took over as the, the playoffs progressed, but Trent Miner was right there. And, and it was kind of a decision of what are they going to do with their goaltending this season? You don't need two starters and, and they're both NHL drafted guys. And like you said, obviously Tendick separated himself at this point in the season. And, and Miner's been one of the returnees that hasn't uh, taken a step or, or hasn't, you know, like I said, picked up where they left off last season. And that's part of the reason for the, the mixed results for Vancouver. When you look at their record, uh, they're below 500 now at seven, eight and one. So they've lost nine of 16 games so far, which is a big surprise considering that strong defense core. And then, like you said, what should have been probably the, the hands down the best tandem goaltending tandem in the Western hockey league. So that, uh, is maybe a little concerning, but again, these are things that you look at on paper and, and they should improve as the season goes. And then Vancouver, obviously with so much playoff experience from last season, uh, when you get to the playoffs, you, you have to think the giants are still the team to beat, especially if they can get one or two more older forwards to really, uh, contribute offensively. That leaves Victoria and Prince George uh, currently the top uh, or the two bottom teams in the division. I don't think that's really a surprise uh, for anybody. And uh, if the playoffs started tomorrow, they they well, I guess Victoria technically uh, might get in uh, on as the second wild card. But um, they were my two picks to miss the playoffs in the Western Conference, so I'm not shocked to see where they are. But Victoria's sticking around. They're, they're they've been a tough out for some teams. I know they've given Kelowna some problems here over the last week. Yeah, Kelowna finally. Uh... Got to see the Victoria for the first time this season this week, and uh, they lost in a shootout the first night and, and won one nothing the next night, but were outshot 33-17. So uh, I think Victoria is a team that you look on paper, and they got guys that are underachieving as well. An overager like Gary Hayden only has two goals in, in, in 11 games. Uh, their newly named captain, Philip Schultz, who is a guy that I quite like, only has one goal in eight games. And so I think there's some upside there with Victoria. I think... Uh, offensively they could produce more and I think they they will as the season goes on so they could potentially push for the playoffs and and Prince George was a team that I thought you know I thought goaltending in Prince George would again win them some 2-1 games because I knew they had you know some strong defensemen uh, a good top four on defense coming back and and two good goaltenders obviously Taylor Gauthier wasn't drafted in 2019 but he's a a, a guy that's been around the Western League for a while and everybody sort of sees him as a, a true number one goalie. And then Tyler Brennan, a, a, another first round pick that's coming in that has a, a lot of hype and then has put on, put out some good performances as well. So I thought Prince George is a team that would maybe be doing a little better by winning low scoring games. And, uh, that hasn't been the case. And, and through no fault of Taylor Goche, who's getting shelled on a lot of nights, I'm surprised by the amount of shots they're giving up with, uh, Mark Lamb, Jason Smith, uh, defensive system. But uh, nevertheless, I think uh, Prince George, Victoria, like I said, you're kind of from the outset this season, they were the also Rams. They weren't going to challenge uh, the top three in BC. And then so far it's playing out much like we expected. And then Prince George obviously looks like a seller. And it'll be interesting to see what Victoria does uh, with some of their older players as the season progresses. Yeah, Victoria, the lowest scoring team in the entire league at the moment with just uh, 28 goals. Uh, even Swift Current has scored one more than that. And then Prince George has only scored 30. So. There's the reasons they can't win. And, uh, you mentioned a trade deadline. To me, Taylor Goche seems, looks like trade bait to me. I mean, Tyler Brennan is off to such a good start. Uh, when he's in net, uh, I could see a team that, uh, might need an upgrade in goal thinking Goche on a different club might provide the goaltending that, uh, that would take them deep in the playoffs. I'm, I'm looking at Calgary myself. Yeah. I, I, I call Calgary on that too. He's from Calgary. They, they released. Carl Stankowski, who ended up out here in Penticton in the BCHL. So 
for me, all signs point to Taylor Gochi ending up with the Calgary Hitmen, and, and that would be a, a big addition for them. Uh, I think a change of scenery would would help Taylor Gochi. He's had a, a a hard start to his WHL career on a you know perennial rebuilding team, struggling team in Prince George. I think uh, if he got to backstop a, a contender, I think that would really rejuvenate him and then energize him and I wouldn't be surprised if he works his way into a position where he could be drafted as an overager in 2020 so I, I still like Taylor Gauthier and like you said I think he's definitely uh, right up there on the WHL trade board right now for a, a name that could move sooner than later. Sounds like an article uh, for uh, the hockey writers you can create your own trade board. <laughs> I should it's it's getting to that time of the year where there's going to be uh, some big names potentially moving. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll watch for that. Larry, as always, appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for doing this. We'll call you again. Yep. Thanks for having me on, Guy. Larry Fisher from the Hockey Writers and uh, future considerations doing some scouting work for them now. Uh, always appreciate that when Larry's on the show. And in case you're uh, one of the people who just only listened to this specific segment of the show, then you missed the the, uh, the big uh, news uh, items that I dropped in the opening segment today that I did not address with uh, Larry. So you might want to go back and listen to the first segment. Those were about the uh, upcoming uh, Bantam tournament that will be held in Seattle uh, to uh, further showcase the American players that are eligible for the uh, WHL and uh, the as-of-yet unannounced uh, two-round American draft uh, specific to the Western Hockey League. Both of those talked about at length in the first segment of today's episode. You can also find uh, more details on that at uh, dubnetwork.ca. Let's go from the In the Dub segment to the NCAA Campus Report. And uh, Chris Peters writes for ESPN. He's my guest next here on the Pipeline Show. Matias Samuelson left point. Gruden around on the right side. 1-0 U18. Stopped. He walks the line. Took the shot. Right on goal. They score! Farabee put in the rebound. And Farabee gives his grandmother a birthday present. It's 2-0. Hey, it's Bill Farabee from Team USA, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. He is a midnight mover. He can go on in the sunlight. Passion. Talent. Development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Johnny Gaudreau. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Joe Pavelski. And Shane Gossespierre were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Yeah, there were horses and a man on fire, and I killed a guy with a trident. We're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and it's the NCAA Campus Report now, brought to you by College Hockey Inc. If you are a player or you have one in your family, and you need to uh, know what you need to do to maintain your NCAA eligibility, if you're exploring all your options, well, then I recommend you go to College Hockey Inc. and uh, maybe get in contact with uh, some of the people with the company and uh, see exactly they can answer all your questions for you. And there's a lot of information right on their website too. That's College Hockey Inc. Uh, all right, my guest today is uh, Chris Peters from ESPN. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show, Chris. Good to chat with you again. It's good to be with you, Guy. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Uh, well, okay, we're going to talk a lot of stuff. Uh, we're going to go across, because uh, you cover prospects in general and not just college uh, stuff, but uh, most of what we're going to chat about has to do with college hockey or somewhere along that. But uh, I wanted to start with Kirby Doc, uh, who's not a college guy, but uh, an impact <laughs> certainly on my side of the border with the Western Hockey League and uh, it, the news coming out that doesn't look like he's leaving Chicago anytime soon. Um, obviously, a, a real small sample size here with the Blackhawks, but he's shown enough uh, to, to stick in the NHL. Are you surprised? You know, I'm a little surprised that he did end up sticking, uh, you know, especially having started the year with uh, with a concussion and, and, and not being able to skate and mm-hmm. really missed the entirety of training camp, didn't play any exhibition games. And, um, you know, you, you have those rookie camp games, but there's such a, a dramatic step up from uh, from that to the NHL, and and I, you know, I, I knew he had good hockey sense. I knew that he, you know, he had the size, he had the ability, um, you know. But it just it's just a matter of reps and, and and not having the time to prepare. But you know, he, he performed really well at the World Junior Camp back in August, and uh, you know, he, he showed that you know in in his best games he he was a dominant player, and, and you know, obviously that's something that that Chicago noticed as well, and. Um, you know, I, but still surprised just, just because it's also because of where Chicago is right now. It's not a very good hockey team. I mean, just quite, quite frankly, it's not, not, they're just not good and they needed help. And, and I think that you don't want to be in a position as an organization where you basically, you need to have guys because they're your best options at this, at this stage. Um, you know, I thought Kirby could potentially benefit from another year, but at the same time, uh, he's given them every reason to keep him. Uh, by by based on his play, um, and I have thought that he, that he's he's been pretty pretty darn good there. And you know I, I I can't blame Chicago for wanting to keep a player like that, especially when they they just don't have the depth right now. I wonder would it be could you foresee it happening where he plays another month with them, goes to the World Juniors, and then maybe gets sent back to the dub? You know it's possible, uh, but I I think I think it'd be it'd be unlikely. Um, you know I just think that Chicago's in a position right now. They just called up Adam Boquist as well, um, where, where they need to get, they need to see what they have. They need to see what these guys can do. And, and, you know, based on everything, it sounds like, you know, they're, they're telling him to, to kind of settle in and, and, and he's going to be there. And usually, you know, maybe there's a chance that he could go to the world juniors, but I, my, my guess is if he went there, he would go back to Chicago. All right. Chris Peters from ESPN, my guest. Uh, let's get to the college stuff. And, uh, I guess so much buzz around Wisconsin this year. Maybe we'll uh, start there and, I find it really interesting. I know you're, every time he scores a goal, you're, you got the, the counter going every time Cole Caulfield scores. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised from the outside looking in how much attention he's getting when Alex Turcott is on the same team and he was the, you know, the top five pick, uh, and Caulfield, uh, you know, second half of the first round. But, uh, what's happening with the Badgers and, uh, and tell me about Caulfield and, and Turcott and maybe Dylan Holloway as well. That's, that's gotta be a fun team to watch. It is, and I went to their home opener against the Minnesota Duluth, and it was it was a fun game. It wasn't a great game; it was a kind of sloppy game, but it was it was a lot of fun. There were a lot of goals, and and obviously, I think that the reason that that Cole, there's a couple of reasons that Cole Caulfield has been getting the attention that he's getting. Number one, he's a Montreal Canadiens draft pick, and and so he's now he's a big deal on both sides of the border. Um, and, and then also, I mean, I just think that the fact that he's a goal scorer um, and, and has scored in cartoonish numbers before and is already off to such a strong start. Is a big reason why he is, uh, you know, overshadowing Alex Turcott, who was drafted ten spots ahead of him. And, and, and Turcott is 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 not always the most flashy player. He's extremely effective. He, he actually ended up missing a couple of games last weekend uh, with an illness, but he's back back with the team. And uh, they actually play uh, Penn State 
in, in a series this week. And, you know, that's going to be a very goal happy series. There's yeah. not a lot, not a lot of defending going there. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, he's not the flashiest guy, but he, he really, he's a well-rounded player and he's shown that already. Um, you know, playing alongside Cole Caulfield and, and, and Buffalo Sabres draft pick Linus Weisbach as well. Uh, fun line to watch. They're, they're, they're dominant despite their youth. And, uh, it's, it's been incredible to see. And then Cole Caulfield's over a goal per game already this year, you know, seven goals. And, you know, I started that goal counter, uh, just kind of like it, it just got, got funnier and funnier to me every time he scored more just cause it's just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it, it really is. I've never seen a goal score you know, at, at that level. And, and the, the rookie record at Wisconsin is 36 goals by Mark Johnson from Miracle on Ice and NHL fame. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's going down this year. And if if it does, that's, I mean, that's a pretty impressive feat for Cole Caulfield. And, and it makes Wisconsin all the more exciting to watch. That would be amazing for sure. Uh, so many of those players from that U.S. team from last year uh, drafted now and uh, on to the NCAA. A couple of guys, obviously, that uh, have gone elsewhere. But um, of the rest of those players, I'm thinking of guys like Zegris and, and Cam York, and well, the list goes on and on. Uh, Matt Boldy, who is who has uh, impressed you the most here in the early going at the next level? Um, you know, I, I, their their record. Uh, he had a, a rough start last time out, but I, I think Spencer Knight has looked every bit as good as as advertised, save for one game so far this year. Mm-hmm. Um, BC's off to a bit of a tough start. I knew that they were were going to ha- have difficulty because their defense is very young. It's not very good, um, and it, it will it will improve over time. Um, they they can score. They have great offensive talents, and like Boldy and, and and David Cotton was one of the top goal scorers in the nation in, in uh, the nation last year. But Spencer Knight has given them a chance in almost every game except for that one as I mentioned. And I, and I thought that he's looked so sharp. He's probably going to be the starter for Team USA at the World Junior Championship. Um, you know, he's, he's so locked in and so dialed in. He just looks like a professional, um, when he's playing the position. And, and it's been really impressive to kind of see him. But, you know, it's, it's still early. I think Zegers has, has had great flashes. So has Cam York, Johnny Beecher. It took a little, a little while to get the goals going. But, uh, and, and one of the, the, the surprises, I think, in the country, there are two of them, Patrick Moynihan at Providence and, and Owen Lindmark at Wisconsin, who's overshadowed by everybody there, but he's, He's been a, a, a penal, uh, he's been a power kill weapon. He's, he's kind of a penalty kill guy and he's got a couple of shorthanded goals already. And, um, in the games that I've watched, he's been a factor in every single game. Um, and he's, he's an unheralded guy that, that was a depth player for that U.S. team. Um, and then Moynihan has been a, a, a producer for Providence and they need producers because they lost so much talent from, from last season. So, uh, it's, it's been impressive to watch that whole group, uh, you know, step up and, and play the way that they've played so far. Uh, and last year, from that uh, the U.S. team, the U18 squad, there were what, how many players were not drafted from that roster? Was it just two? I believe it was three, three, three total. Um, and you know they'll all be back in the mix this year, so you, you might see them get drafted. Um, I know um, uh, Max Gilden was one that, that a lot of people were surprised did not go, um, but he's he's a he's a guy that uh, could go this year. Uh, and uh, another one was was it not uh, Doug Waits' kid? I'm forgetting his first name right now. Oh yeah, Danny. Danny Wait, yep, and he's in Penticton, uh doing pretty well for himself right yeah, now. Yeah, having a great season there. So it'd be interesting to see uh, uh who snaps him up and how early that happens uh this uh, in the twenty twenty draft. Um Chris Peters from ESPN is my guest and there was a big story uh it's kinda of been slow developing over the last month or so when it comes to the NCAA is with all the legislation. I know it 
started in California, and you're going to have to educate me and, and hopefully my audience on how all of this works. But the whole aspect of allowing players, uh, college players, to, to get paid for uh, their likenesses and for endorsement deals and things like that. I, I'm sure this is all going to take a while for it to actually have an impact, but once it happens, if it happens, how will that impact college hockey? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think there's a lot that we have to figure out yet. So, I, I you know, I'm still trying to wrap my hands around it as well. Uh, but the big development this week was, you know, that the NCAA essentially made that that de- declaration that they're they're looking for a path to make that possible for players. Um, and they they used a lot of specific wording in that. Like one of the one of the key phrases was was you know that that would allow players to to uh, you know profit off of their names and likenesses within the collegiate model. And I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Yeah. You know, like I don't I don't have any idea what that looks like for them. Uh, I think the goal is to have something figured out by 2021. Um, you know, there have been athletic directors that have been kind of looking into this. I think that it's going to have a, a very large impact on football and basketball. Um, you know, I think that there certainly could be an impact on hockey. I think it has to, you know, if there's a, a an avenue where players are getting paid for their names and likenesses, does that open up the doors to, you know, allowing CHL players to play U.S. college hockey. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case at this point because they still don't want, quote-unquote, professionals. And the the main reason that CHL players are are not allowed to play in the NCAA is because there are players in that league that are under NHL contract. Um, And so by virtue of even just competing in that league, you know, it's kind of viewed as a semi-professional league and and there's specific wording in the NCAA rules that does not allow – Canadian Hockey League players to to be eligible. Um, so yeah, so it's it's there's a lot left to figure out. I think it's going to be um, there's there's still a lot of legislation that's going to have to happen. Um, you know, it's it's going to be different. I don't think that there are going to be a ton of men's college hockey players that are going to be able to profit off their names and likenesses, um, unless say you know, sports wants to put them in the at the NHL game, like we like we remember years and years ago yeah, yeah. was brought up as a possibility. So. There's a lot of different things that could come into play. It's a very complicated issue. It's a very important issue, um, and it's one that I think that that is going to make uh, make for a lot of uh, arguments and <laughs> disagreements, and ultimately, hopefully, solutions uh, in the end for for college hockey, for college athletics as a whole, and 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 ultimately, the idea is that it benefits the players, and that's that's obviously what uh, what we hope will be accomplished if if all this goes through the way that. You know, it's at least trending towards. All right, we'll have to be patient. I'm sure as the uh, the the wheels of justice will turn slowly uh, before it's all <laughs> before it's all said and done. Um, Chris Peterson from ESPN, you're the prospect guy for ESPN when it comes to hockey. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the prospect the side of it uh, and the scouting aspect and the All American game getting scrapped and uh, the changes to the USHL top prospect game where they're sort of combining the two events. When I first read the press release. I didn't really like it because there's a lot of guys who played in the All-American game who aren't USHLers um, that won't have Correct. that showcase yeah. event now. Um, so I was disappointed to well, see that. But will they make an exception maybe for some of the high school guys that uh, maybe they'll get an invite to the USHL top prospect game? I don't know about the, the North American Hockey League guys, if, if they'll have that opportunity. I know they have their own game as well. But you know there are aspects of this new format that uh, I'm still waiting to get clarification on. And at the moment, I kind of don't like it. Yeah, you know, I, I think it, it is certainly watered down versus the All-American Prospects game. Um, but 
at the same time, uh, the All-American Prospects game was not doing what it was supposed to do, really. I mean, you look at a lot of players that play in that game still didn't get drafted. So, you know, that that's that's one of the, the aspects. I think that the, the USHL Top Prospects game had become less and less of a priority for NHL scouting staff. They'd always have somebody there, but it would – you know, fewer GMs were making that trip when it used to be that they would just because – and I think this year in particular it's kind of necessary because this is really a down year for the U.S. draft pool. It's not a not a deep class. It's not a class where you're going to have a lot of exceptional American players coming out of the USHL um, and, and playing in that game. So uh, that, that's the other element of it. Um, you know, the fact that you were splitting up the, the U18 team as well, and that was kind of just a weird thing because a lot of people just want to see them play in their regular roles for their team um, if they're going to play, if they're going to scout those specific players. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that there were a lot of different elements into that. I think part of it, you know, it's just the, the, the All-American Project team being an NHL arena that just didn't take. There wasn't, you know, they didn't sell many tickets that, it, it still brought in a lot of scouts and everything, but, and I'm with you. I hope that, you know, the college, the, the high school players, um, some of the, co- co- I don't think we'll see any college players involved in that at all. Um, you know, in terms of draft eligible guys, there aren't a ton to pick from anyway this year. Uh, but, but at the same time, you know, the, it was an opportunity um, for guys like, you know, you look back a couple of years ago, Ryan Fitzgerald was the MVP of the game, played prep, prep hockey. Right. You know, he's, he's kind of been up and down with Boston, but, you know, there, there have been guys that have really stood out in that game over the years, but, you know, in the end, it still kind of showed a little bit of the separation uh, among, you know, the, the class, and it just ultimately didn't do what it, what it set out to do. So I, I, would, I would hope that, you know, as the, as the pool grows again, and I think we'll have a pretty solid class with the, the next birth year, and, and that'll be interesting to see kind of how they let that play out. But, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I knew it was coming. I knew that the changes were coming. I wasn't sure exactly what it was going to end up looking like. I think this is the best way to make sure that the USHL is heavily involved, to make sure the NTDP is involved, and ultimately to make it a, a game that is still attractive to scouts and, and everybody else. And putting it in Plymouth as well puts it in front of a, where a lot of scouts already live, um, and, and that will that will help increase the prominence at least in the scouting community i would think yeah that's the good part of the change i like that it is the u.s national development team the the u18 squad will play as a team as a unit against uh basically a ushl uh, all-star team of draft eligible players so i like that aspect i just look at it the downside is the potential players who are missing out uh on that night and on, on having a another showcase uh, for those guys i don't know there were some chl guys who well, played in the All-American prospect game uh, as well over the years. And a guy like Antonio Estrangis with uh, the London Knights would be a, an example for a guy this year who I'm sure he'll still get an invite to the CHL top prospect game. But Right. Yeah, just another example. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I, I think I think it'll be a constant reevaluation with something like that. But, but you know, in the end... They, they still want to make, get, get, provide that showcase to the American player and have USA hockey be a part of it. And, um, there are always so many stakeholders in, in something like that as well, uh, that you, you know, it's, you can never make everybody happy, but I think ultimately this season in particular, it's probably the best, best case scenario. Chris, what are you working on, uh, for ESPN in the next little bit? Well, I'm, I'm heading out to New Brunswick for the, the Canada Russia series. Gonna, you know, to try to tackle the, the beast that is, uh, Alexi Lafreniere in terms of, 
just what makes him so good and why he's having such a, an incredible season. And I'm really excited to see that. I'm excited to talk to the other QMJHL players that are, are going to be there. And, and obviously the Hockey Canada folks that are, are scouting that for the World Juniors. I'm obviously always interested in seeing the Russians still to see the, the roster, whichever that they bring, um, and who's all part of that process as well. Um, it's just a really – that, that event has really grown on me in terms of an ev- evaluation point. Um, and, yeah, I think that that's, that's the thing that I'll be focusing on, and I'll be taking a little break to really focus on actually just getting out to more rinks and, and, and doing some, some you, know, uh, you know, doing some actual scouting and, you know, I, I, and trying to evaluate players and, and, and focusing on, you know, the midterm. And then, obviously, the World Juniors coming up uh, will be uh, – that'll be a big event as well for, for me. But, yeah, I'll, it, it never stops in the prospect world, as you know, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way either. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. But I'm really excited to get to New Brunswick and, and getting an up-close look at the, the QMJHL crop this year. Well, we'll watch for all of that. You're, you just want to get out of Iowa. I saw the picture you tweeted. You guys, <laughs> you guys got winter already. I, I know, yeah. I mean, I was like, if I have to go to Canada to leave the snow, something's <laughs> wrong here. So, uh, but I'm I'm more than willing to do it. I've been spent a lot of time in, in your great country these last couple of years, and it is uh, it is always a pleasure. So, and I've never been to New Brunswick, so I am I'm jacked to go to St. John Mountain as well. Awesome, that's uh, my home province. Uh, yeah, no, I think you'll enjoy it a lot, uh, Chris. I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for doing this again. We'll we'll uh, call you sooner as opposed to later. All right, sounds great. Thanks, Lucky. Good friend of the show, Chris Peters from ESPN. We started having him on the show way back when he was running a blog that uh, he called the United States of Hockey Blog. And uh, actually, I knew the, knew him before that when he was still working for uh, USA Hockey. And uh, since then, he's gone on to much bigger and better things, And uh, but always makes time for the Pipeline Show, which I really appreciate. Great guy in person, too, if you get a chance to uh, just uh, sit down and chat for a while. Maybe you're at a tournament or something like that, and he happens to be there. All right, one more segment to go on the show, and that will be the 2020 Draft Spotlight segment, an insider uh, scoop for you guys. Uh, This was actually the first interview that I did this week. It's going to be the last segment of the show, but uh, through the magic of uh, podcasts and editing, you're not going to hear it in the uh, the right order. Uh, But uh, my guest, coming all the way from Sweden, and uh, here's a guy who's expected to be a first-round pick. There's a few Swedes who could be first-rounders in 2020. Noel Gundler is one of them. Hear from him next. Hi, it's Norris Seider from the Adler Mannheim of Germany. Zwei auf eins, Isis mit Seider und er macht sein erstes Deal-Tor. 5-1, Mannheim, Moritz Seider. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. From the organization that brought you Mark Messier, Matt Benning, and Ian Mitchell, Spruce Grove Saints Junior A Hockey is officially back for the 2019-2020 season with all the action taking place at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. With tickets starting at just $15 per person, AJHL Hockey provides some quality entertainment. For more information, visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I know that, dude. 
Welcome back to the Pipeline Show with Key Flaming. We're going to turn on the 2020 draft spotlight once again and uh, chat with another player who is eligible for the uh, upcoming NHL draft. Uh, and this week we're heading over to Sweden, and my guest uh, today is considered by many to be uh, a potential first-round pick uh, coming out of uh, Sweden this year. Uh, his name is Noel Gunler, and uh, Noel, uh, welcome to the Pipeline Show. I appreciate you making time. Uh, how are you? Yeah, thanks for having me. I- I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, but uh, I'm not up for the NHL draft this year, uh, so uh, it's, it's an exciting year for you. Uh, have you been looking forward to this year for a long time? Yeah, for sure. It's been uh, been a year you're looking forward to since like since you started with hockey. It's uh it's a dream come true to be a liable and a top prospect for the for the draft. All right, well, let's talk about your season so far this year in Lulia, at, and uh, you're playing with the you're playing full time with the pro league this year, correct? With the pro team? Yeah, exactly. It's it's going up and down. My play time has been up and down, but less. Five six games. I've been coming in and play bigger minutes, and uh, I think I earn it. So it's getting better and better, and uh, yeah, it feels feels better and better. I think I uh, I have earned a spot in the in the full time uh, squad now. So it it feels good. Well, that's exciting for sure. And I know last year you played. You you were back and forth with the junior team and the and the men's team, and uh, now to be playing full time with the men. That's gotta. That's gotta be exciting for you. And is it still hard to try to get as much ice time as you can? Do you still feel like you're playing, you know, just a little bit, or and, and trying to get, earn more ice time? Um, in the at the start of the season, but now I think I, I show that I can for sure play at this level, and I think I have t- taken big steps this season so far, and uh, the coaches giving me more and more minutes and I think I earned it now so yeah, it, it feels better and better. Well you already have almost the same amount of points you had all last season uh, with the big team um, so that's a, that's prog- progress for, for sure. Uh, how do you feel differently this year? How how does it feel to have last season already under your belt? Uh, we like to say over here that uh, you know that experience is in your back pocket already so there's there's no surprises for you this year. You uh, You feel more comfortable? Yeah, for sure. I I feel much more comfortable uh, with the team. And last year, when I, when I came up, I were like uh, not so uh, confident as I, as I am this year. Now I feel much more confident, and I mm-hmm. um, I can play more of my game. I think, and I think I'm more ready to play now. I'm I'm ready to play full time in the SHL this year, and I think. Uh, that's where I should play this season. Noel Gundler is my guest. He's a uh, forward uh, playing over in Sweden with uh, Lulia, mostly with the, uh, the pro team this year, which is uh, good to see. He's my guest on, in the 2020 Draft Spotlight segment this week. And Noel, what we like to do in this part of our show is uh, a chat, is, is uh, talk to a player in your position, being in uh, your NHL draft eligible season. And uh, a lot of people who are hearing this will be hockey fans, but might not know uh, everybody that's uh, you know your age in the world. So let's get to uh, to know you a little bit. Uh, where are you from in Sweden? Hey, I'm from no- the northern part of Sweden, uh, a city called Luleå. And, and that's where you play, right? So you, you get to play at home. Yeah, exactly. I get to play at home. So it's like a dream come true to play for your hometown hometown team in the in the highest league. So yeah. How many people there? Uh, it's like seventy five thousand. 
So it's a pretty good sized town. That's good. Yeah. Uh, do you remember how old you were when you first started playing hockey? Mm, I was like, I think I was uh, three years old when I got my first pair of skates. Wow. So yeah, around three, I started skate. Very young. Uh, your father was a player too, wasn't he? Yeah, I played in uh, the second league in Sweden and some games in the, in the highest league. All right, so you always had sort of a coach uh, to help you along when you were a kid. Do you think? That, yeah. Do you think that gives you a bit of an advantage? Yeah, for sure. I th- he's he's a bit, he's been there for me uh, and helped me with a lot so far in my career. And I don't think I will be where I am without him supporting me and and helping with with the. Uh, Small stuff and yeah, things around hockey. Noel, have you always been a forward? Um, not, not actually. When I was like twelve years old, I played like both D and forward because we didn't have that many D. So I played D some games and <laughs> I, sc- I scored a lot of assists and things. So, so I liked it there too. Uh, why did you decide to uh, only be a forward then, uh, as you've you've gotten older and uh, now now there are actually defensemen for your team to use? But um, did you have a choice at one point that, that where you could have said, oh, you know what, I kind of like being a defenseman, but you chose a forward? Why? Uh, I don't know. Actually, I think it was like I want to be a goal scorer, and the most these don't score that many goals, so <laughs> uh, it was the easy choice to to be a forward. Well, and uh, you did score a lot of goals last year, especially with the uh, with. Uh, do you call it the junior team, the super elite uh, team, the uh, twenty? Yeah, the the junior team. Yeah, yeah. Twenty seven goals and and forty six points last year in thirty one games. Um, that you had to have been pretty happy with that season, and obviously you played well enough that you kept getting uh, called up to the men team. Yeah, exactly. It was a was a very good season for me. I think I improved a lot, and I think I had a really good season. For people who have never seen you play, like most of us over here, uh, how how would you describe yourself as a player? Can you give us a, a bit of a scouting report on yourself? Mm, I would say I'm an offensive forward that's like to shoot the puck and and also got a very good uh, uh, hockey sense. Uh, and I know where to be on the ice and I get good skating too. And like to be in the offensive zone and create space and scoring chances. For me and my teammates. Uh, where do you play? Are, are you uh, a winger, a left or right wing? Does it matter for you? I, I know you shoot right, so are you more comfortable on the right wing? Uh, I play for the most right wing, but this season I played for the first time uh, both left and right wing. Uh, is it uncomfortable on the left? Uh, no, no, I, I like it. I can play on both. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, do you see yourself more as a goal scorer or uh, the guy who sets up the, the, the guy who scores the goals? I see myself as more as a goal scorer. Um, Noel Gundler is my guest, and, and I want to ask you about your name because, you know, over here people will call you Noel Gundler, and you and I were talking about that before we started the interview. <laughs> you, you said you kind of like the way that sounds, but um, if if somebody was mispronouncing my name all the time, it would drive me crazy, but for you, it, it's not that big of a deal. How how do you want people to say your name? Hey, you can say it like that, but in Sweden we say uh, Noel Gunnler. Right. Okay. Well, I'm going to try to say it that way too. It sounds funny when I say <laughs> it, but uh, but I want to say it the way it's supposed to be said. So Noel Gunnler yeah. is my guest, and uh, he's uh, playing for Lulia over in Sweden uh, and eligible for the 2020 draft this year. Do you think much about the draft? Mm, not that much, uh, but of course I see rankings and stuff, and 
And yeah, it's like it's a fun thing, and I like it's like motivates you to to work harder every day and get better. Uh, you have uh, there are some other Swedes who are ranked very high for the draft this year as well, and I know uh, that you'll know guys like Alexander Holtz and Lucas Raymond and players like that. Do you look at other guys that you know and uh, compare where they're ranked to where you're ranked and say, I I need to be better than that, I should be ranked higher than them, or do you try not to think about things like that? I don't try to look at things like that, but for sure you want to be, you're, you're competing. I'm a compete guy and I I want to be the best, so yeah, of course I compete with them. Uh, I know there are there's a, a Four Nations tournament coming up in uh, Finland, and your name surprisingly not on that team. Um, was was that a surprise for you? Mm, yeah, a little bit. Uh, of course, I think I I earned a chance at least uh, in the other twenty national team this year. But it's it's the coach's choice to to pick players. But I think uh, I still think I I have a chance to make the World Juniors team. Okay, well, that's coming up uh, just after uh, Christmas. Um, did you play on the uh, the World U18 team uh, in, uh, what was it, April, I guess, uh, last year? Were you part of that team? No, I wasn't. I wasn't either. How come? Were you not available? Were you still playing with the pro team? Or was that just a, were you just left off of that team too? Yeah, I was just left off that team too. So it's, yeah, it's how it is. That's got to be frustrating. I mean, you're a guy, as I said, people think you could be a first-round pick this year, yet you're not playing for Sweden in some of the big tournaments uh, with players your age who are also eligible for the draft. Why do you think that is? Mm, I don't know. I think the coach, he, uh, to take out a team, is, it's, uh, it's a different... You have um, um, you have the different roles in a team, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's... Uh, obviously, he didn't have a, a role for me as he saw it. So, yeah, the coach, the coach is the guy who decides. So I accept, I accept how we how we saw it. Uh, I know uh, sometimes there will be players from whether it's Sweden or Finland or the Czech Republic or or Russia. They'll when they're your age, uh, they might get drafted by a, a Canadian hockey league team, and some of those players would choose to come over and play. At junior hockey for a year or two uh, over here in Canada to try to get used to the smaller ice surface and, and to playing more games like in the NHL. Is that something that you would consider or are you happy uh, playing in Sweden until you're ready for the NHL? Mm, I think I, I will be playing in Sweden until I'm ready for, for the NHL. You, are you under contract for the next couple of years already? Uh, I have contract over next year. Okay, very good. Next year, too. Between now and uh, the NHL draft in June, what sort of things are you trying to, uh, what kind of things are you paying the most attention to in the way you play? Where where do you think you need to get better the most? Mm, I think yeah, going into this season, it was playing without a puck. But uh, so far this season, I'm taking really big steps. And now now I feel like that's, that's a very good part in my game, too. So now keep going with working working at everything like mm-hmm. play without the puck with the puck my shot skating everything i want to work with everything and uh how big are you right now do you know uh, with your height and your weight uh i am like i don't know in pounds and like uh, that but that's fine i'm in canada can I, you can give me metric <laughs> okay i'm uh, my weight is like 
78 kilos and uh, um, I am 187 centimeters. Okay, so that's about uh, six foot one inches, maybe a little more than that, and about 175 pounds, uh, something like that. Uh, okay, have you stopped growing? Do you think are you still going to get taller? I think you're you're about the same size as your dad right now. So do you do you think you're done growing? I don't know. I grow like uh, I think three centimeters less last season so okay. I don't, i'm not sure but but maybe well noel i really appreciate your time today i certainly wish you the best of luck uh with uh, your uh your pro team and uh, hopefully we get to see you at the world junior championship yeah i hope so too thanks for having me thanks for doing this noel i appreciate it yeah thank you see you noel gundler from lulia hockey team uh in sweden playing in the shl which is uh, notable too uh, as a youngster like that, those guys seem to be able to uh, make that transition uh, quicker, uh, having already played with and against men. I think that's why you're, we're starting to see that trend of uh, Swedes, specifically the Swedes, sometimes the Finns, and every once in a while, uh, guys from other countries who might be playing in Sweden, like Alex Texier is uh, one now with the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, from France who was uh, was playing in Sweden. We see those guys making that transition and that jump to the NHL a little bit quicker than maybe some of their North American counterparts, uh, and I think that's a reason why. That wraps up this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Thanks to the four guests that you did hear from. Next week uh, will be more of the same. Don't have any confirmed uh, guests just yet, but you'll know there'll be a 2020 Draft Spotlight segment, uh, an In the Dub segment, an NCAA campus report, a CHL Insider Every second week or so, we usually, uh, I plan on having a, a U-Sport content uh, segment and uh, didn't have one this week, so you can probably expect one next week as well, have a player in mind that I want to chat about, or with rather. Uh, so lots to, to look forward to for sure. And so between now and then, make sure you get out and watch some junior or college hockey so that you and I can talk about it next week here on the Pipeline Show. Until then, my name is Keith Flaming. See ya.